So it's great to be together this morning. We're uh, coming into land in our series uh, from the book of Malachi, um, the last book in the Old Testament. And so if you're here today for the first time, we've been working our way through the book of Malachi. We're coming to the end. John will be sort of rounding it off last week as we run into Christmas and the, the Christmas season. And there's a Uh, a bridge between the Old Testament and the New, and Malachi is right at the end of the Old Testament. And we've uh, entitled the series, Hear My Voice, because we believe that God speaks today. And God's been speaking to us as a church and as individuals over these last weeks as we've been unpacking the message of Malachi. Malachi is a very straight-talking book, Uh, But it speaks into our very lives and helps us. And so this morning we're going to uh, read the last uh, part of uh, the the letter, the the book of Malachi. Um, We're going to pick up where we, uh, uh, some of the stuff that we touched on last week. So we're going to read the passage we read last week and then we're going to read a few verses on top of that from the end of Malachi. So we'll come up on the screen behind me. So this is what it says. Starting at verse 1, surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. These people have come back. They've been in exile. They've come back to their homeland. They're they're back in the land that God had promised them. But they're back and it's, but it's not quite as they expected. They're disappointed. It's not turned out as they thought it was going to turn out. But God is doing something. God is doing something. God is working something in their hearts. God is working something out of their hearts. Just a bit like a smelting process where you've got a metal ore and you pour like all uh, a rock that's got gold in it and you start to heat it up and as you heat it up eventually the gold melts and all the impurities come to the surface and you take the impurities off to get pure gold but you've got to heat it up to do it you've got to heat it up it's got to be put through the furnace it's got to go through a heating process for you to be able to get to the pure stuff read this this week sometimes God doesn't change our situation because he's trying to change our heart. Let me say that again. Sometimes God doesn't change our situation because he's trying to change our heart. See, God is more interested in our hearts than our circumstances. Sadly, We're often more interested in the circumstances than our hearts. 
That's why the Bible talks such a lot about God testing our hearts. In Proverbs 21, it says this, A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. God tests our heart. You see, we've been singing about it this morning. It's been right through our worship. God is in the business of changing hearts. That's his business. That's what he's about. See, by the heart, the Bible is talking about the very essence, the very center of our beings, the center of who we are, how we think, how we act. Our heart is the very essence of who we are. God deserves our hearts to be devoted to him. That's what he deserves. He's the God who created us, who formed us, gave us life. God deserves our hearts. He's not satisfied with lip service and casual attention. He deserves our wholehearted love and commitment. When Jesus was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? He said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Throughout Malachi, we read of people who are far from God. They give him lip service. They don't believe what he says. They doubt him. They don't honor him. They don't do what he asks of them. They speak harshly about God. More than anything, God wants them to return to him. And so despite their waywardness, God through the book of Malachi shows himself as a father who loves them completely, who pleads with them. The God of heaven pleads with a wayward people to return to him because he's after their heart. Still true today. Wherever you're at this morning, whatever's caused you to be in this place today, I want to tell you that God loves you and he's for you and he's chasing you down and he won't let you go because he's after your heart. He's after changing your heart. And Maybe you're going through the furnace at the moment, but I want to tell you this. You're going through the fur because God wants to do something in your heart. He's after your heart. He's working on you. He's not forgotten you. He's not left you. We come this morning to a God who changes hearts. But it's easier said than done. At the end of Malachi, God is hinting, and we talked about it last week, about someone who will change our hearts. Because we can't do it ourselves. Malachi is picking up a truth that runs like a rich vein through the Old Testament. One of the earlier prophets, Ezekiel, talked about God promising this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's what God's heart is. He's going to work on us. He's going to give us. He promises to take away our old stony heart, that heart that's resistant to him. He's going to do something. He's going to put a new heart and a new spirit within us. Last week we unpacked that uh, God was saying there's a day coming. The day is coming where God will put everything right that is wrong. This world's in a mess. God's not going to put up with it forever. There's a day coming where God is going to rectify what's wrong. He's going to put everything right. And the challenge of Malachi is this. God is saying, come on, get right with me now. Seek my face now. 
Put your life in my hands now. You see, accounts will be settled. Justice will be done. None will escape from the blazing eyes of Almighty God who, will, who sees right into our hearts. He sees what our hearts are like. We may be able to pull the wool over other, other people's eyes, but, but we can't do it with God. He knows. We'll all have to give an account of how we've lived the life he's given us when we stand before a holy God. God is speaking this morning about changing our hearts before it's too late and the day comes. And from these few verses that we read this morning, God wants us to hear his voice again. And the first thing I want you to hear is this. We need to change because God doesn't. We need to change because God doesn't. In chapter 3, God says, I, the Lord, don't change. I, the Lord, don't change. I saw this image uh, on, uh, uh, on the internet. You can imagine the sailors thinking, come on, why doesn't that big boat get out of the way? It isn't changing direction. That big boat is not going to change direction. Who's the one that has to change? God does not change. And when we set ourselves against God, I tell you, there's only one winner. When King Canute stood, sat on the shore and tried to stop the tide coming in, there was only one winner. In the end, Canute had to change. God doesn't change. And in Malachi, he's writing to a people who are trying to ignore God and God will not be ignored. Maybe this morning you are trying to ignore God. Trying to turn your back on him. Well, he won't go away. He's God. He doesn't change. Maybe it's over the issue of baptism. God said, Jesus says, believe and be baptized. The Bible says, believe and be baptized. If you fo- become a follower of Jesus, be baptized. That's the first thing he asks us to do. If we're followers of Jesus, that's the first thing he asks us to do. Believe and then be baptized. Next week, we'll be baptizing some people here on a Sunday morning. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to respond to God. God won't change. His word stays the same. He's faithful. He expects us to be faithful in our relationships. And uh, uh, Malachi talks about marriage. Today, Annie and I have been married 29 years. 29 years today. And I'm not telling you that because I forgot to get a card. I did remember a card. It was late yesterday, but I remembered. I mean, in these days, faithfulness is, is an uncommon thing. God wants us to be faithful because he is faithful. He wants us to be loving because he's loving. He's a good God. And we need to be like him. We need to change. You see, the Bible says that we can be transformed into his likeness. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that we'll be transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. That God comes and works in us and changes us bit by bit. It doesn't happen in a moment. We're not just changed, and that's it. We keep changing. 
And so if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, God is still working on your heart. He's not finished with you yet. You're a trophy of grace, but you're not the finished article yet. He's still working on you. God's grace is still working on us. And that's why when we gather together as God's people, we draw near to a living God. We, we can come near to God. But God is holy. How can we come near to a holy God? Well, there's only one way, and we were talking about it last week, that we, we can't come into the presence of a holy God on our own. And God has made a way for us. He has sent his son as we were singing about in the worship, as we were considering as we were breaking bread, that he sent his son Jesus for us. The perfect son of God came to this world to be born a man. He lived the perfect life. And on the cross, he died and faced the wrath of God, the punishment of God for our wrongdoing. Jesus had never done anything wrong. And in that moment, God was able to forgive us because Christ took our punishment. And the justice of God was satisfied in that moment. And we received Christ's righteousness, his right standing with God. And so now we can come near with boldness. We can draw near to a living God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who is a consuming fire. We can draw near through Christ because we're righteous in him. We're righteous in him. As we submit to God, everything changes. This is what Peter says to describe this. He says this in 1 Peter Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people. You are a chosen people. He chose you. Before the beginning of time, he chose you. You're a chosen people. A royal priesthood. You think you're nothing? Well, you're a royal priesthood if you're a follower of Jesus. A holy nation. God's special possession. You are special to God. So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Only Jesus can set us free to live the life that God has called us to live. Not dependent on circumstances, but dependent on him. How does this change happen? It happens because God changes our hearts through what Christ has done on the cross. We need to change because God doesn't. The second thing we need to see is this. Good foundations don't need changing. Good foundations don't need changing. So when I used to work in gospel, I uh, uh, worked in a part of the borough, there was part of the borough called Hardway, and um, there was a a house there that had been a mid-terrace house, and they'd knocked down uh, the houses, the rest of the terrace. So the end wall of the house now uh, was... Uh, had been a middle wall, just had been a wall in, in the middle of a terrace, a row of terraces. And the problem was, it wasn't, it didn't have a double, it wasn't double skin thickness, it was just a single brick wall all the way down. And the foundations, uh, they weren't sort of three foot, four foot, five foot, six foot foundations. The house had been built many years ago, it was strip foundations, there was virtually no foundations there at all. And so the house would move, depending on the weather, it would move a bit. 
And the driving, uh, the, the prevailing winds were coming from the southwest and bringing all the rain, and it would hit, there was, uh, and, the, and that wall was southwest facing, so the water used to pour through the wall, and they wanted to do something about it, and so they wanted to treat the wall, and they, it was in a conservation area, just like this building is, and so the, uh, what you did with buildings was important, and they wanted to uh, put some treatment on the outside to try and protect it. They couldn't do anything with the foundations. They didn't have the money. And so what they wanted to do, and, and as, a, as a council, we wanted them to do something that was in keeping with the conservation area. We wanted to put some shiplap boarding down the side. We sort of agreed they could do that. The problem was that the foundations were, there were no foundations. And they were afraid that any weight that went on that wall would cause the house to subside. And so they said, we'll, put the, we'll, we'll do what you want on the side wall of the house, provided you indemnify us against if it goes wrong and the house subsides. And suddenly, as a council, we were in a difficult place. And in the end, we agreed to them having UPVC cladding on the side of the house, which we wouldn't do in a concert, just simply because, because the foundations were rubbish. The foundations weren't sure the foundations could take the weight. You see, good foundations can take weight. Good foundations in your life will take weight. Poor foundations will not take weight. Won't take pressure. Are you facing pressure in your life? Well, you need good foundations. Good foundations don't need changing. You see, in Malachi, God's uh, people are grumbling. They're moaning. And their bad attitude. They'd forgotten the foundation that underpinned who they were as a people, as a nation. They needed to remember and... And so Malachi says, remember Moses, remember the law that Moses brought at Sinai. God was reminding them that they had been a people who'd been enslaved in bondage in Egypt. They'd been in a right mess. There was no way out and God had broken in and delivered. Moses had come and led them out of, uh, out of Egypt. He delivered them out of Egypt. They'd passed through the Red Sea. God was saying, remember where I brought you from and who you are now. And they ended up in this, before this mountain, Sinai, in the Sinai Peninsula. And God gives his law. He speaks to them. He says, you're my special people. I want you to live in this way because I know the best way for you to live. And God is saying, remember the law. Remember who you were. Remember your foundation. You see, we tend to have a negative view. We think of the law. In the other, we think of it negatively. God's a killjoy. Is that what you think? God's a killjoy? The law is good. God wanted his people to go to a a place, a land flowing with milk and honey. God wants to bless us. He wants our lives to be blessed. He wants us to be in a good place, in good relationship with him, enjoying life to the full. He knows what's best for us. And so he gives us the law because keeping the law enables us to enjoy life to the full. The problem is, is the law, we can't keep it by ourselves. We need help, we can't do it. The law shows us what's right. We wouldn't know what was wrong unless the law showed us. Unless there was a a sign saying 70 miles an hour, we wouldn't know that that's the speed limit. Unless there was a sign, don't walk on the grass, we wouldn't know not to walk on it. The law shows us what what we should 
what we shouldn't do, how we should live, how we should live with respect to other people. The problem is, the law also does something. It stirs up something in us that the Bible calls sin. There's something inside us that stirs us, that provokes us to want to go, oh right, 70 mile an hour, I can go a bit, I could probably do 75. Probably do 77. Probably get away with 80. In a stream of traffic on the motorway, get away with 80. I'm not going to get booked for 80. Walk on the grass? Why can't I walk on the grass? I wonder what if I do, oh, look, nothing happened. It provokes in us, it causes us to want to go, well, what if? What if I did do that? The law shows us, actually, it provokes us, it shows us that we can't keep it. The law was there to point us to a day when God would send his son who would fulfill the law for us. The law points us to our need of grace because we can't do it. The law was there to say, you can't make it on your own. You need my help. And that's why Paul, in his frustration, talking about not doing the things that he wanted to do and doing the things that he didn't want to do, he says, who can deliver me? Who can help me? And then answers this, Jesus Christ the Lord. Jesus is the one that Fulfills the law for us. You see, when Jesus came to this earth, he didn't put the law aside and say it wasn't needed anymore. Rather, he made it clear he came, he came to fulfill the law. And so when Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, talks, he, he goes above and beyond. The law said, don't commit adultery. That's what the law said. Jesus said, I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery in his heart. He does the same with murder. The Old Testament, the law said, don't murder. Jesus said, if you get angry with someone, you're committing murder in your heart. Jesus goes above and beyond. He fulfills the law himself. He stirs us. Jesus See, salvation is more than just being set free. Salvation, the salvation Jesus offers is coming into the life that he always planned for us. This is what Jesus said in John 10.10. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. To the full. That's what he wants. He doesn't want us to be barely living. He wants us to have life to the full. And so we need to be those who hear God's word. So the word remember in this passage in Malachi says remember. It's not just recollect. It's hear something and put it into practice. God says to these people, remember the law. He says to us this morning, good foundations don't need changing. Remember the law. Remember your roots. Remember what the Bible says. The Bible is the word of God. It tells us, it shows us how we should live in these days. We need to remember God's word. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light for our path. When we get up in the morning, we should be those who say to God as we read the Bible, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. May I see wonderful things that are going to help me today when I read the word of God. We should open the word. We should remember the word. Remember the law. Good foundations don't need changing. You see, like the people of Malachi's day, we easily forget that we're children of God. 
We easily forget that God loves us completely and totally. We easily forget that before God we stand holy because of Jesus Christ's righteousness on us. And so we easily get filled with guilt and shame. The Bible says this, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we need to remember the word of God. We need to read the word of God and say, I've just had a rubbish day. There was a day uh, a week or so ago and I was with Dave Lockyer. Some of you know Dave Lockyer. And Dave Lockyer turned up at my house at half six. It was in my diary. And uh, I'd forgotten. And uh, I was up. I was having a cup of coffee. And Dave rang me. And I picked up my phone and thought, oh, Daisy, oh, right, oh, yeah. So I went downstairs, opened the door, and he said, ha, 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 you forgot. And I said, no, 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 I didn't. And we started praying, and I just, I just, oh, no, I shouldn't have said that. It's not true. I said, Dave, I'm so sorry. I did forget. I did forget. And immediately, everything within me started to go, oh, you useless. How could you do that? How could you do that? You lead a church and you do something like that. It's terrible. What terrible. And then I just remembered, you know what? There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Faithful and just. Not faithful and kind. He's just because Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. He's faithful and just. Wonderful truths. Good foundations don't need changing. The third thing is this, change starts with repentance. You see, after mentioning Moses, Malachi starts to talk about God sending the prophet Elijah before the day of judgment arrives. Now, Elijah was an Old Testament prophet, for those of you who uh, haven't spent much time in the Old Testament. His life and all he did, were, it was a remarkable life, but he was, it was marked by the presence and power of God's Spirit. God's Spirit led him, God's Spirit power came on him, God spoke to him, directed him. Elijah knew what it was for God to speak to him. He was an unusual character. He lived in a day when people were openly worshipping other gods, openly turned their back against God, and Elijah came and challenged them, and uh, he was God's voice to a nation. He was provoking them, saying, turn back to God. God is going to judge this nation. There's going to be no rain for three years at my word, and so he declares there's going to be no rain. Suddenly, it's dry, it's barren. God is trying to catch their attention. God is wanting them to listen. God's wanting them to return, to come back to him. And Elijah disappears for three years. And then eventually God calls him from out of his place in, uh, in hiding. And he comes up and he's on top of Mount. He gathers all the people of God. He gathers God's people and he gathers the prophets of uh, the, the gods that they've been worshipping. And there's this big showdown on Mount Carmel. And God answers Elijah's prayer. And there's... The, The enemies of God are routed and the people turn back to God. Elijah's message brings repentance. Elijah is wanting people to turn back their hearts back to God. You see, repentance is a key Bible word. It's written throughout the Bible. It means to change your mind, change direction. It isn't a popular word in today's politically correct world. Tolstoy once said this, everyone thinks of changing humanity, nobody thinks of changing himself. 
Jesus' challenge was and still is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And repentance requires three things. It requires awareness, awareness that we're wrong. We need to change. God isn't going to move. We need to change. There's something in our hearts that needs dealing with, needs awareness. It needs an admission. God, I'm at fault. I'm wrong. Help me. Help me. And it needs action. It needs receiving what Jesus has done on the cross to say, Jesus, I put my trust in what you did on the cross for me and I am forgiven. Listen to the challenge of Elijah. He's on the mountain. He's calling the people to turn back. And he says to the people, he says this, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. The challenge for repentance in these days is this. If God is God, follow him. Give him your life. Give your all to him. Don't waste these days playing with the world. Give your whole heart to him. Follow him with all you've got. He deserves everything from us. He has given his precious son for us. He will not withhold anything from us. Why wouldn't we give him our all and trust him? He's worth it. He's worth it. The New Testament writers and Jesus talked about John the Baptist. John the Baptist came like Elijah. And so the New Testament opens. Malachi finishes the silence and then the New Testament opens. And John the Baptist comes on the scene. He is, if you like, he's the herald that Jesus is coming. The answer is on its way. And he comes like Elijah and his message is one of rugged repentance. And this is what it says of him in Luke chapter 1 verses 17. It's prophesied that he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. John the Baptist would do that. To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Malachi ends with that. The New Testament starts with it. Repentance. Repentance. We need to change. Finally, we need to hear this. It is Jesus who brings lasting change. Jesus brings lasting change. So one day, Jesus is with three of his disciples, James, Peter, and John, and they're up a mountain. Jesus is praying. The disciples are doing what they normally do when Jesus prays. They fall asleep. So they're on the money again, and... um, And they wake up and they find that Jesus has just been changed in front of them. Jesus is, they see Jesus in the glory of who he is. The son of God. There's this moment, the Bible uses the word transfiguration, but he's changed. Jesus is changed. They see him as he really is in a moment. So Jesus' face is white like the sun, bright like the sun. His clothes are gleaming like lightning. And they're terrified. And whilst they're watching Jesus standing there, they see two men with Jesus. They see Moses and they see Elijah. And these two men are talking to Jesus. And they're talking about Jesus' death, his impending death and what's going to happen. Moses and Elijah. Jesus, this moment, 
tells us Jesus was about to fulfill everything required in the law. It was to satisfy the law of Moses. This tells us that Jesus was the one that was filled with the power and the spirit of God and who would enable repentance once and for all. It tells us that only Jesus can bring lasting change in our lives. There's an incident in Elijah's life that I think will help us. He's had this great moment on Carmel. He's had this great victory. He must have been, he would have felt on top of the world. Everything had gone as he thought it would go. And then suddenly the king's wife, Jezebel, Ahab's wife, she's a nasty piece of work. And she says, I'm going to get you. I'm going to kill you. And Elijah forgets everything. And he runs for his life. He's terrified. And he ends up in the desert. He's depressed. He's fed up. He gets to the point where he's even given up on life. He's believed lies. I'm the only one that's left. There's no one else who's standing for you. God, everybody else has gone. I I give up. Take my life. He's reached the end. Do you feel like that? Maybe you feel like that. Maybe you've had moments where you've had things have gone really well and then suddenly everything starts to go wrong. And you start to believe lies. The devil's lies. Oh, you're no good. You're useless. It's never going to work. And you go into that place like a desert place. And you're fed up. And Oh, God doesn't love me anymore. He's given up on me. <sighs> What's the point of all this? God comes to Elijah. He comes to you. He comes to you this morning. In your desert place, in your need, he comes to you. And just like he does with Elijah, he wants us give you sustenance, wants to sustain you. He wants you to know that he loves you. And then with Elijah, he takes him. Where does he take him? He takes him to Horeb. He takes him to the place where Moses came down the mountain with the law. And Elijah goes to the place, he goes back to his foundations. He goes back to his roots. God says this morning, you need to go back to the word You feel like that. You need to go back to the wood. You need to go back to what God says about you. God says that he loves you and he's for you. God says that he chose you before the beginning of time. God says that he'll never leave you or forsake you. But I feel alone. No, but the word says he'll never leave you or forsake you. Your feelings may tell you that, but he will never, 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 never leave you or forsake you. He loves you totally and completely. You are the apple of his eye. Well, I don't feel like it. Well, the word says you're the apple of his eye. He delights in you. He rejoices over you with singing. No one's sung over what he does. In heaven, they rejoice over you. But I feel unclean. I feel unworthy. Well, he's forgiven you. He's cleansed you. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You need to go back to the word. What does the word say? And as Elijah goes back to this mountain, he goes back and he goes back to his roots and remembers what God says about him. There's this moment where God comes to him again. God's spirit comes to him again, calls him out. God's spirit isn't in the thunderstorm. It isn't in the noise. 
quiet, gentle whisper. God's spirit comes and fills him. And God wants to come to you again if you're in that place. As you go to his word, as you, his spirit comes and it fills you afresh. In the New Testament, there's a, a moment where the apostles, you've got disciples, you've got Peter and John, and they're, they've been witnessing to Jesus, and they've called before the rulers, and they're told, you know, they're given a really tough time. They're told, don't you ever do that again, and there are all sorts of threats, and they leave, and they go back to their people. They go back to a meeting like this. They go back to the church, and they gather together, and they said, this is what they said, and they start to pray. And do you know what they pray? They start to pray the promises of God. They go back to their foundations. They go back to their roots. They go back to what God says. And they start to pray the Psalms back to God. They pray Psalm 2 back to God. And they say, the nations rage and the leaders, but you're the sovereign God who created the heavens and the earth. And we trust you more than we uh, listen to the voices of people around us. And then it says, they say, God, come answer our prayers. Anoint us with boldness. And it says, suddenly, the place is filled with the Holy Spirit and the power of God comes on them. They go back to their roots and as they go back to their roots and they go back to the word of God and what the word of God says, God's spirit comes again and fills them and equips them for the task. The circumstances don't change. But something's changed. It's their heart. Something's happened in here. It doesn't happen out there. It happens in here. That's where change starts. Change starts here in the heart. And God says this morning, he's interested in changing your heart. And if you're going through difficulties, he says, come on, come back to your foundations. Come back to who you are in me. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, you can know the certainty that God loves you. He wants you to know that he is your father. He wants you to come into relationship with him. But there's only one way. The Bible says there's only one way and that's through Christ. Christ who fulfilled the law and brings the spirit. We are people of word and spirit. The word of God and the Holy Spirit filling us. We can't, we can't make it without the Holy Spirit. The word of God is too hard. How can I live like that? Well, we need the Holy Spirit within us enabling us to live like that. God calls us to be people of word and spirit. And all of this is about our relationship with God. It's restoration of relationship with God and with each other and the people we live among. And throughout Malachi, God has been challenging them about broken relationships with himself and with each other. And at the end, he says this, that there's a, uh, that there's a day coming that if they hear what the prophet Elijah is talking about, God is saying to the people in Malachi's day, God will restore fathers to sons and sons to fathers and restore relationships. I want to tell you that there's only one way of re- reconciliation in this nation. In a nation that's devouring itself. A nation that's people turning against each other. There is only one answer and that answer is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only one who will reconcile hearts to each other. Reconcile our hearts to God is Father, but reconcile one to each other. We need that in these days. We live in a fatherless generation where so many people don't know what it is to be loved by a father. Well, there's a father in heaven who loves you, and you can know him through Jesus Christ if you put your trust in him. This is what it says in Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... 
If anyone is in Christ, anyone, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Although God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It's only one answer for this needy world. Only one answer. That's Jesus Christ, his people, filled with the Spirit of God, knowing the truth of the Word of God, his ambassadors, his representatives to a needy world. If we want to see lasting change in our own lives, in the lives of those around us, then we need to know what it is to be people who quickly repent. Get right with God. God doesn't change. We're the ones that need to change. We need to be those who love God's word so that we're thoroughly equipped for every good work, as it says in Timothy. To be those who are filled with his spirit. Filled with his spirit. It's not an optional extra. And to be those who live out this ministry of reconciliation to a needy world. It's God's message to Malachi thousands of years ago. Hear my voice. God doesn't change. His message is still the same. Hear my voice. Come on. I love you. Walk with me. Know my spirit filling you. Know the word of God. Put your trust in me. I'm going to ask the musicians to come and lead us as we finish with a song. Let's stand together. This is, these moments... These moments are moments where we, when we talk about responding to God, it's about us saying to God in our hearts, sometimes with our mouths, under our breath, we're saying, God, I hear that you have spoken to me today. What has God been speaking to you about? There are numbers of people here who are going through, like you feel like you're in a desert place. Some of you know that you've been battling with issues. And there's a challenge. Some of you know that you perhaps haven't been given the word of God, the place it should in your life. Maybe you know that in terms of reconciliation, you've got broken relationships. Your life is perhaps marked by broken relationships. Well, this is a moment where we can say to God, God, break in. I come, I bow the knee to you, I submit to you. Change my heart. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you can do that this morning. Change my heart. God, forgive me give my life to you. I put my trust in Jesus. That's all you need to say. But you need to tell someone you've done it afterwards. Father, we turn to you right now. Come by your spirit. May what you're saying to us set us free. You will know the truth your word says. The truth will set you free. Father, set us free. We want to be people of word and spirit. Make a difference for you.